goals. We hear people talk about goals all the time. We realize that if we want to get anything done, if we want to accomplish anything worthwhile, it's going to take goals. It's going to take plans. It's going to take looking into the future, figuring out where we want to be and how we're going to get there. And we've even done that as a congregation, giving thought to where we want to be in the future and what we want to accomplish and all the goals that we have and the plans to get there. And sometimes when we think about all those statements and all the things that we've said, that can get pretty complex. But as a congregation, let me boil down our goals into just something very practical, something that we can actually get our minds around, that we can picture in our head. Our goal really is to fill this building up with people that are saved. Fill it up so much that we have to move someplace else and do something else somewhere else and fill that place up with people that are saved and, and then move someplace else and fill that place up with people that are saved, worshiping God and glorifying Him. We want to progress on in the future and grow and get bigger and better doing the things that God wants us to do. And as we think about that, we need to remember what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, the Bible says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. To the one who can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. You realize what that means is there's, there's not one single solitary goal that we can come up with, based biblically, that can remotely challenge God. There's not anything that we can ask or pray that God will accomplish for us in our future, accomplish for this congregation, accomplish through this congregation, then he's going to sit back and say, wow, I wasn't ready for somebody to ask me that one. There's just, there's just not anything. God can accomplish far more than we ask or think by the power at work within us. Now, do you realize what that means? That means we need to ask and think. That means we need to ask and think big. That means we need to have goals. But sometimes as we think about goals for the congregation, we can easily forget our individual involvement in accomplishing those goals. The reality is, there is only one way for the Franklin Church, and if you're here visiting from another congregation, for the congregation of which you're a part, there's only one way for any of these congregations to ever remotely accomplish any goal or plan that they have. And that's through the working of the individual members. This church does its work by what we do as part of the congregation. And so as we consider that, I want us to look into the coming year. And I, I found out quite, quite late that I guess Jonathan did some of this same kind of teaching last Sunday. But it was too late for me to write a completely new sermon when I found that out. So, so this might be a little bit of repeat for some. But I, I think when we take a look at the past and look to the future, we need to repeat some of these things and think about them. But I want us to think today about what is it that we have to do in 2008. And, and when I say what, what you must do in 2008, I'm not just talking about the congregation. I'm talking about you as an individual, me as an individual. As individual working parts of this congregation, what do we have to do in the coming year so that this congregation as a whole can accomplish the goals that God has laid out for us. 
We're going to be looking in three separate areas. Three areas in which we need to be working and planning and setting goals individually. Personal growth, aggressive evangelism, and congregational involvement. But before we take a look at those three areas, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we lift you up because of everything that we say about our goals, we understand that, that the ultimate goal is that you will be glorified, that you will be honored and magnified, that you will be praised before the world so that others will want to be a part of your family. We pray that your hand would be with us, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us as a congregation, be with our elders, that they would guide and shepherd and lead us in a way that honors and glorifies you, be with our deacons, that, that they would be servants within this congregation so that you might be glorified, be with all of the Bible class teachers that we have, that they will study and prepare and, and build up those who are in their classes, and be with all of the members of the congregation, that we will grow personally as your children, that we will become stronger and more faithful, that we'll be better servants, that we'll pursue righteousness and faith and love and mercy. Help us, Father, to lean on You, to do Your will at all times. And we pray that You would do far more abundantly than all we ask or think Think by Your power working in us. Father, we're so thankful that we get to be a part of Your plan. We're thankful that You've chosen to use us to accomplish Your will. And we pray that we will be strong servants who can accomplish Your will in this world. Father, we love You, and we thank You so much for loving us. Through Your Son's name we pray. Amen. So to take a look at our work in 2008, the first thing that I really think we need to consider is plans for our personal growth. And I'd like to share with you three areas that I think each of us need to work on, no matter where we are spiritually, three areas that each of us need to work on in our personal spiritual growth. The very first area is that of prayer. No matter where you are in your prayer life, no matter how much you pray, no matter how often you pray, no matter what you pray for, every single one of us needs to be working on our prayer life. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, one of the shortest passages that we've ever memorized, said that we need to pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, of course, that doesn't mean 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we're doing nothing but, but on our knees beside our bed praying. But what that does mean is that prayer is an integral part of our lives. We pray in the face of every problem that ever comes up, in the face of every victory that ever happens, every struggle we ever face. We pray whether it's about work, whether it's about school, whether it's about home, whether it's about the congregation. We pray no matter what we're facing. We pray all the time. We ought to be able to say to folks, I love to pray. I pray all the time. I pray without ceasing, and not allow Satan to attack our habit of prayer. Wherever you are, no matter how much you're doing, work at increasing your prayer life and your prayers before God. The second area in which we need to work is Bible study. We need to spend more time in God's Word studying it and knowing it and learning it so that we can then turn around and live it and pass it on. Second, or excuse me, First Peter. Chapter 2 and verse 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Peter wrote, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. I was talking with Brent about this passage one time. I've often in the past used this passage to, to say what we often say about going from milk to meat, but I think he's right. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about simply having that desire that a newborn has for milk that we have that same desire for the Word because it's the Word that provides sustenance. It's the Word that gives us life. It's the Word that strengthens us. 
We can't have strength as Christians. We can't have strength as part of this congregation apart from the Word. There's just no way. And so we need to be in our Bibles reading, meditating, studying, wherever you are on that. And I know that we're all at different walks in the spectrum. We're all at different levels in the spectrum of spiritual growth on this. But no matter how advanced you are in it or how remedial you are, you need to have plans in 2008 to increase your study and your knowledge and your Bible study. And then the third thing that I think we all need to work on personally, and that's active participation. And by that, I'm talking about active participation with the congregation. We need to be increasing in our personal prayers. We need to be increasing in our personal study. And we need to be increasing in our personal active participation in what the congregation is doing and what the congregation is accomplishing. The the very basic level of that, of course, is, is just going to be on the level of attendance. It's just being there. Make it a part of your plan and a part of your goal in 2008. That when the congregation is assembling, when the congregation is having classes, to be there. I think about Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, when the church was first established and we had these first disciples that were gathering together in the name of the Lord, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. Do you see what that really means when we take a look at those four items, what they were doing? They were gathering together. When the apostles were teaching, they were there. When the apostles' teaching was being passed on, they were there. When the breaking of bread was taking place, talking about the Lord's Supper, they were there. When prayers were being offered, they were there because they were devoted to that. I want you to think about devotion for just a moment. What does it mean to be devoted? I would like to say that I'm devoted to my wife and kids. But if you came up to me and said, so how's the, how's Trina doing? You know, I, I really don't know. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't really done anything with her in the past couple of weeks. and I mean, she's only been here for seven weeks. You know, what do you expect me to know by now? Well, how's Marina doing? Well, you know what? We really don't talk that much. Uh, you know, I saw her sometime this week. She seemed to be doing okay. I don't know. Uh, how are the kids doing in school? I, you know, I don't talk to them about that very much. In fact, most of the time I just stay up here at the office and I go home and sleep and come back. And that's, that's about it. Sometimes I eat with them. Now, does that sound like devotion to you? Of course not. Somebody might ask, well, and I know we've got a few of these here, some devoted Titans fans, right? I know we've got a couple of devoted Titans fans. Somebody say, Edwin, are you devoted to Titans? Oh, I'm absolutely devoted to Titans. What did you think of that game last week? Oh, I didn't watch that one. Well, what do you think about this new player? They have? Oh, they've got a new player? What do you think about this season? Really, I haven't kept up with it at all. Does that sound like devotion? Devotion is being fully attuned and fully committed to it and, and being there and being active and being a part of it. And we need to be devoted to these things that the congregation does together, to the teaching, to the, to the, the fellowship. And of course, I'm gonna, for those of you who aren't here for the lesson on fellowship, you can get online and get it. Make sure we understand what that means by fellowship. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. We need to be devoted to those things. We need to be an active part of what the congregation is doing and what the congregation is involved in. We, we don't need to be on the fringes. We don't need to be here every once in a while. We don't need to be here just when, oh, I kind of feel like it. We need to be a part of what the congregation is doing. 
As you consider this, I want you to think about what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need to understand that the body only grows to the extent that the individual members grow. You see what that means? For the congregation to grow spiritually, we as individual members have to grow spiritually. There's no way for the congregation to get better if we're all staying the same. The congregation only gets better as you and I get better. And we need to understand our involvement. The second area that we need to have plans is is the area of aggressive evangelism. And I, I think it's high time for us as a congregation to just get aggressively involved in evangelism. Just on a pragmatic, practical sense, I realize that in time past, we've had struggles. And sometimes what that causes is for us to be a little bit worried about getting out there and, and getting, uh, getting folks to know about what we're doing. But that's in the past. We've gotten past that. We've, we've worked on those things. We've, we've moved ahead. We've healed the wounds from things that have happened in the past. And it's high time to let people know that we're here. It's high time to let people know what we're accomplishing, what Jesus can do for them and to recognize that Jesus is a part of what we're doing, and to get out there and let them know. Because our job is to save people. Our job is to take the message of Jesus Christ and get it to them. We need to understand that what it says in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, was not a suggestion. In Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, Jesus commanded the apostles, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That was not a suggestion. That was not friendly advice. That was not sometime when you feel like it and you get around to it, start doing that. That was a command. And that command has passed on to us. We need to follow in their footsteps of getting that gospel message out to others. And so I want want you to think about three areas where you as an individual can be involved in accomplishing this work and helping this congregation do its work of aggressive evangelism. Number one, recommendations. Recommendations and invitations. Letting folks know about what's going on here. Letting them know about what we're doing. Letting them know that the church is here. I don't know how many times I've talked to people about the congregation. (coughs) Where do you guys meet? Well, we're over there on Franklin Road. Just north of the factory. And I just have to tell you, you know, I, I, don't, I think it's this hill right here. People can see our sign sometimes, but, you know, that hill, they don't see the building. If people don't see the building, they don't know we're here. And so I sit there, you, you know, over there on Franklin Road, it's got this big green sign. It's just north of the factory. I don't know, man, I, I haven't heard of that. You know what that says? We're not making enough noise about the fact that we're here. We're not letting enough people know that we meet here, that we assemble here that we get together and worship the Lord and edify one another. They don't know that's what's going on here. We need to get that out to them. 
We need to be talking to people. We need to be recommending our Lord and Savior to them and this congregation so that they can have a relationship with Jesus. We need to be inviting them to be at our classes. We need to invite them to be at our assemblies. We need to invite them to be at our special services that we have, our gospel meetings, our vacation Bible schools, the fall focus that we have, and all those things. We need to be letting them know about that. We need to be letting them know what they can learn. We need to be letting them know about the relationship they can have with God and the relationship they can have with God's people. I just want you to think about this. Studies have shown, those who study these things, that if you get out about 100 invitations, generally one of those will come and they'll bring somebody else with them. So you put out 100 invitations, you get two guests. Now, not all those guests are necessarily going to agree with us and accept what the Bible says and become a child of God. But we've got, we've been doing the work. I'd like to encourage you to think about this. Why not try to get a hundred invitations or recommendations out over the next year? You realize that's only two a week. We have 52 weeks, just, just two a week. Friends, family members, coworkers, uh, Walmart checkout clerks, your bank teller that you talk to every day or every week. Just two invitations a week to invite people to come and just check us out. Come and see what's going on. See what you can learn. I think about it. If you saw a movie or read a book or heard a song that you really liked, would you tell somebody about it? Oh, you really need to check out this such and such movie. Oh, you really need to check out such and such book. Oh, you ought to listen to this song. Why not just do the same thing for this relationship with Christ that we have through this body? Boy, you really need to check this out. You ought to come see. Why don't you come this Sunday with us? Let's get some recommendations and some invitations out there. But when you think about that, what that says is if we start doing that, folks are going to start coming. Gallup poll says, or maybe it was Barna, I can't remember which one, that 25% of the people asked said that if they were invited to attend an assembly of a church, they would go. So, if we start inviting people, we're going to start having people show up. Guess what that means we need to do here? We need to make sure to greet, meet the guests that come in. And I recognize that, that we've set up certain roles that people have to greet guests and get information to them, and we've set up certain roles as, as a part of that work, but we've always said that that's not the, the idea that that's an individual's responsibility to meet and greet people. That's everybody's responsibility. Because I'll tell you what, <laughs> the folks who come out of the world that come to meet with us, do you know what they're looking for? They're looking for love. They're looking for connection. They're looking for relationship. And they'll find out within two minutes of coming into our assembly whether or not they can find that here. And so every single one of us needs to be a part of demonstrating that love. I remember what James chapter 2 says. James chapter 2. Beginning at verse 1 says, My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, 
Why you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor man. And are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? I realize that he's talking about dealing with a specific kind of guest there, rich versus poor, but notice what it says. When we don't treat the people who come in properly, we're dishonoring them. When we kind of dismiss them and just spend all our time talking to one another, we're dishonoring them. We need to show honor to the folks who come into our assembly and help them feel welcome and at home. And so you need to make it your goal. Listen, I realize that the more people we invite, we're going to get lots of people coming in, and you're not going to be able to meet and greet everybody. But I tell you what, have at least this goal, to meet and greet one guest every assembly that you come in. You realize that that happens. Every guest that comes will get welcomed into our assembly. Because look, and I don't want to put any of our guests on the spot, but we've got guests today all over our assembly. And if, if members who are sitting by them just stop and talk to them, guess what? Every one of them get welcomed. And every one of them see the love that we have here. So make that your goal. Number two, or number three, you need to increase your ability to teach. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Folks can't become children of God unless they are taught the Word of God. And what that means for each and every one of us is that we need to increase our ability to pass that word on to them. I trust and hope that you are living a proper example for people to see that attracts their attention, that causes them to say, I wonder what it is that guy has. I wonder what it is that woman has. That they want to check that out. But we need to understand this. Nobody has ever learned to be baptized for the remission of their sins because of how they see you acting at work. They only learn the gospel plan of salvation by people sitting down and opening the Word and passing it on to them. (coughs) Now, I recognize that not all of us are at the same level in our ability to teach. And you may be looking at yourself and saying, Edwin, there is no way in the next year that I would ever be able to conduct a study with somebody. And and that's okay. That's, That's okay. We're at different levels. Maybe your goal needs to be just to spend more time in personal study so that by 2009 you can be in a study. Maybe your goal should be to hook up with somebody that can teach so that you can be with them as they study with someone else. But whatever you do, you need to have plans and goals about increasing your ability to pass the Word of God on to others. The third thing that we need to work on. Plans for involvement. And this goes beyond just the attendance that we talked about earlier. Talking about plans for congregational involvement, participation in in what's going on, participating with one another and being involved with the other folks in the congregation. Again, three things that I want to share with you here, plans and goals that you and I need to have in this area. Number one, I know that one's shocking. I I, I almost hate to talk about this one. I, I really do. I wish we didn't ever have to talk about this aspect. 
But the reality is, as a congregation, we have some goals. And we live in a society where work takes money. That's just the way it is. It takes money to buy materials. It takes money to support preachers. It takes money to, to have a place to meet. And listen, I'll just tell you, this is just kind of an aside. I, I know that, uh, that a lot of folks say, oh, you know, maybe we should just get rid of our buildings because that takes up too much money. The fact is, I don't care where you meet. It costs somebody money. And maybe we need to think about how much we spend on where we meet, but the point is, it costs money, no matter what you do and where you go. And we have work that we want to do. We have teaching that we'd like to do through the newspaper, through the radio, or through television. We have t- advertising that we'd like to do about the stuff that, that's going on here. We have evangelists that we would like to support in foreign fields so that that evangelism can take place in other areas. There are brethren who have needs that we would like to help. But it's limited based on how much we each contribute. I'd like to encourage you to make plans throughout 2008 to increase your contribution to that work, to think about the work that we're accomplishing and to think about the work that we're not accomplishing because we can't afford it. I wish I could just put a figure on it. I wish I could just say to everybody, you know what, let's just increase our giving 25% or 10%. I wish I could kind of do that, but you know, that really doesn't really doesn't deal with the issue at hand. Yeah, there are some folks that maybe what they can do is they, they, could, they could increase it 1% or 5% or $5 a week or something. There are other folks, in order to serve the Lord and obey Him the way they need to, they might need to completely double what they're doing. But I really hope that we can take a look at the work that the congregation is accomplishing and increase our involvement by increasing that contribution. I want you to remember what it says in 2 Corinthians 8.12, though, and we understand this. 2 Corinthians 8.12, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. But we need to be honest about what we have, and perhaps this is the time of year where we can most see what we have. Remember on Tuesday, all those nice shiny packages you had under your tree? Let me just ask you, how much money did you spend to try to show everybody around you that you love them? Now, how did that compare to how much you've given to help the work of the Lord? i got to tell you, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there weren't folks who spent more money on Christmas than they'd given to the Lord all year long. Now, let's think about what we have and consider the work that God wants us to do. Secondly, we need to work on our house-to-house relationships. We need to work on being involved with one another outside of this room. How many of you here lead a busy life? Oh, that's not too many. This ought to be easy. Uh, How many of you here lead a busy life? Come on. All right. All right. I I know you lead a busy life. I lead a busy life. We've got all kinds of things. Listen, you want a busy life. Have four kids. One of them that wakes up every three hours needing to eat. Uh, You know, we lead busy lives. But I'll tell you what, if we're so busy that we're not developing relationships with folks in the congregation, brethren, we're just too busy. There's going to come a day when we are less concerned 
with how well our kids did at soccer and softball than we are about whether or not they develop relationships with other Christians. There is going to come a day when we are less concerned about how many work goals we accomplished than we are with how much time we spent with God's people studying His Word, praying, and helping one another. That day will come. But if we wait till that day, it'll be too late. In Acts chapter 2, I just want you to look at this. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, those first Christians in Jerusalem, it says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. Did you see that, that three-word phrase, day by day? It wasn't once a year when one of the elders sets up a, a, a Christmas holiday dinner at the rec center. They got together. It wasn't maybe once in the summer they, they got together over at one of the deacons' house. Those things are good, but guys, that's not enough. How much time are you spending with other Christians outside of this assembly? I'm not saying that you have to spend time with every other person here. But you better be developing relationships with someone. We need to be spending time from house to house with one another. Praising God. Doing secular and social things together. Developing our relationships with one another. In 2008, make it a plan. And it's got to be a plan. It's got to be a goal or it's not going to happen. This doesn't happen accidentally. We lead too busy a life for this to happen accidentally. It's going to take purposeful planning and goals for us to be developing our relationships with one another. But we need to be doing it. Let me encourage you to work on that in 2008. And finally, we need to be working on our ability to serve one another. We need to be servants. Jesus said, that He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And we're supposed to follow in His footsteps. Look in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. Some of the translations read in a way that it almost sounds like the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds are supposed to be doing the ministry. That's not what it says. It says that the, those official roles are designed to train all of us to minister, to be servants. That's our job. Servants. That's the highest rank that a Christian can attain. Servants. Well, let's face it, we don't like servants. That seems awfully lowly. Sacrifice my time, my money, my effort, my resources to help other people out. I'm too busy for that. I've got too many of my own goals to accomplish. We need to be servants. Serving one another. Being there. Bearing one another's burdens. Helping one another when we have needs. Look in Romans chapter 12. In Romans, chapter 12, beginning at verse 6, 
It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We are supposed to be people who serve others. Second Peter, First Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. First Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. What did Peter and Paul both demonstrate? That each of us have been given gifts. You know, we don't, we can't all do the same things. We all have differing gifts and abilities, but we all have gifts and abilities. And we need to be using those gifts and abilities to serve others. To help others out. Can you teach and spend some time teaching? Can you encourage and spend time encouraging? Can you sew like Tabitha did? Then help others out with, with clothing needs or whatever you can sew. Can you cook? Then be a servant and cook for others. Can you clean? Then be a servant and clean for others. Can you cut somebody's grass? Can you do woodwork? Can you help out with, with handyman activities? I mean, I just got to tell you, if you want to serve me and my family, if you want to serve Marita, come help me fix all the junk that I don't know what to do with at my house. You know, because I can't do any of that stuff. That's just terrible. Y'all ever seen Tim Allen on Home Improvement? I mean, that is me. I start working on something, and by the time it's done, it costs more to fix what I did. You know, but those are things that we can do. Uh, it, is this the church setting up its house-fixing ministry? No, of course not. It's individual Christians being servants to one another the way God has said we're supposed to be doing. And we need to quit being so worried about making more money that we're afraid to spend some of our money-making time helping our brethren. What can you do to serve? You probably can't do the same thing I can do. I probably can't do the same thing you can do. But we can all do something. And so in 2008, let's make it our plan to serve others, whether it's writing notes of encouragement, visiting folks in the hospital and nursing homes, having studies in our homes, hospitality, helping out with cars and houses, clothes, food, being there when folks are moving to help them move in, being there when folks have needs because they had to take family members to the hospital. Let's increase our service, wherever you are. But the reality is, God can accomplish great things through us. Acts chapter 11 and verse 21 talks about that church in Antioch and it said that they had a lot of success because the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord is with us. And by His power working in us, we can do far more abundantly than we ask to think. God can accomplish that through us. But we've all got to be working. We've all got to be striving forward. So as we move into this new year, on Tuesday, 
going to breathe a day today and tomorrow. Okay. But starting Tuesday, let's move forward. Growing as individuals so this congregation can grow.